What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. Pac-12 fans, this one's for you. Put your hands up, This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Keeping it real. And only the truth lives here. Pac-12 Apostles. Austin versus the NCAA. The Supreme Court rules in favor of the players. But what does that mean for your favorite Pac-12 school? 12-team playoff expansion. It is coming, people. It is coming. I hate the number 12, but we will discuss how that impacts the conference. Larry Scott, he's on the way out the door, but he committed one last final folly. Well, actually, two final follies. There are new bowl games, including the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. Is this an embarrassment to the conference? There are transfers within the conference. And, of course, there's this little bitty thing going on at ASU. What what the hell? We'll talk about that. And, of course, there are three new Pac-12 podcasts that we got to talk about. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden. And this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, it has been a while Since we have recorded an episode, we are getting very close to uh, Pac-12 football season. So it is time for us to ramp this thing back up. Aren't you excited? Sure. Sure. I mean, uh, we were unnecessarily controversial and it's made uh, some of our Pac-12 followers upset with us. Uh, In the interim, we should have just stuck to just recording podcasts and mind our own business. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to get this one out of the way and and hopefully uh, clarify some things and work through some issues so that we can all have a lovely season of Pac-12 football uh, together in which we produce the first national champion in the history of the Pac-12. What do you think about that? Yes? No? Going to happen? 
first national you mean first since we've been playing in the uh since we've been playing in the college football playoff yeah um so you guys can always shoot us a text message 818-293-7547 that's 818-293-7547 and of course you can shoot us an email i'm at i-m-m-a-d at unafraidshow.com uh we do have a couple of text messages from you guys on the text message line that we will get to as well um here is the thing here is the thing to go um i guess we'll start with the larry scott these are his final days in the pac-12 his final days they are numbered july 1st the new commissioner takes over We are excited about that. But on the way out, Larry Scott found a way to just embarrass himself and the conference just so much more. I I mean, it, it was to me reading his interview with the New York Times. It was to me, it was frustrating. It was it, it felt like I was being gaslit. <laughs> and I, I'm serious, dude. It was um and it started out with the first question. It said the league performed very well in basketball tournaments this year, particularly obviously the NCAA tournament with three teams in the Elite Eight, four teams in the Sweet Sixteen. Uh was that the high point of your tenure? First of all, that was a legitimate question. Was that the high point of your tenure, getting four teams in the Sweet 16 and three in the Elite Eight? Like, was that the high point? Yeah, probably. But here's what the dude said. We've won more national championships than any other conference in each of the 11 years that I've been here. So there are really a lot of satisfying and gratifying moments. Obviously, this year winning the Women's Basketball Championship and having UCLA in the Final Four for the men and having the best overall conference in college basketball is right up there. That that was gaslighting, Ralph. Yeah, I mean, this interview, the only thing of note, um, because I, all of this was expected and he is who he is and and he went out the way that he existed and I'm not... I don't have the energy to get upset at him, even though I did get upset at him for something he did later on. Um, I don't have the energy to get upset at him for being him anymore because part of the benefit of him leaving is, is like, I don't got to worry about him anymore. But the one thing about this interview that was so remarkably consistent with who Larry Scott is, was that it happened in the New York times, not with Wilner, not with John Canzano, not on our little podcast, not with the LA times <laughs> or, or the Las Vegas review journal or whatever it's called, or the Arizona Republic or anything else to, um, you know, what, whatever the Oregonian, it, it, it didn't happen in the PAC 12 footprint. It didn't happen in the Salt Lake Tribune. It happened in the New York times. That's always what he was. He was always a big city guy came out here thought he was smarter and better than everybody else thought that everyone else just didn't completely understand his vision, milked the conference for as much money as anybody has ever made as a conference commissioner, paid out more money on avoidable expenses 
than any other commissioner in the history of college sports left after having to lay a bunch of people off because of those expenses that he created. The network was a failure, all that. And, and despite the opportunity, if he wanted to, uh, upon exit to be accountable to the people within this footprint, he gave an interview in the New York times because what matters to him and what's always mattered to him is not the opinion of the people who exist within this conference, but it's the opinion of the people who read the damn New York times. Like it's, it's, he, he's, I don't know. He's trying, right? to impress, he's trying to impress his freaking college buddies or something. And that's not what any of this has ever uh, been about. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I, that one didn't bother me too much. There was a couple of things in there about people just not being patient enough or having the vision that he has that, you know, of course, you know, you can always blame you didn't let my full 10 year plan after losing out on 3 billion to other conferences <laughs> to ultimately catch up before they lap us again. Um, you know, you didn't let that plan unfold and, and he will always have that. He will always have the unknown at his back uh, to make him feel comfortable and good for him. But we all know the truth. He was terrible. Yep. I just left with Larry Scott. Just I, I was just two through the the L.A. Time, the New York Times article was just so infuriating that infuriate. How do I say that word, Ralph? Jesus Christ! Infuriating. Infuri infuriating. Yeah, it was so <laughs> that it made me. I, I I was so frustrated. I was like. He went on here to try to convince people that he did a good job and there are going to be people who believe him. And he went, like you said, the most telling thing was that he went to the New York times because those are the only people who still believe the bullshit. You know what I mean? Like he couldn't sell this. He, he wasn't going to get a glowing article or an article kind of giving him place a Q and a to, without any refuting anything that he said from anybody on the West coast, not from Wilner, not from the LA times being that they aren't being paid from the PAC 12 anymore from Kent Canzano. He couldn't get it from any of those people. So he went to a place because I guarantee nobody asked to interview him. It, it was a, <laughs> okay, he had a PR agency, probably some consultant firm. Um, like get get him to go out. It's possible. I mean, I'm so I'm a I'm a Suns fan. It comes up all the time. They're winning right now, and that's why it's easier for me to bring it up. I'm not ashamed at this point in time. But somebody just put out an article that was like, "Hey, what's it like for Ryan McDonough to watch the team that he built get the success that he never had?" And <laughs> all of the response to that was like, "And nobody wants to hear from Ryan McDonough at all." Nobody has any interest in this. Nobody's going to yep. read it. You're not going to have revisionist history. Like we, he's gone for a reason. We don't want to hear it. And that's the way I felt about, you know, someone when given the opportunity to create content on a notable human being is going to take up the mantle and write the story. That doesn't mean anybody wants to hear it. That doesn't mean anybody wants to read it or talk about it. The only reason that we're talking about it is that we literally have to, um, because it would be weird to have a Pac-12 podcast and not bring up the fact that the outgoing commissioner went to the New York Times, talked about what a great job he did. Yep. 
because nobody out here will listen to it. Um, but he still is doing a job. He is part of the college football committee on, you know, ex- playoff expansion. And he's re- he's the person representing the Pac-12. I could not think of a worse set of circumstances. You you are on one of on the cusp of one of the biggest changes to the college football playoff system. And he's the guy who's in charge. And you're just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And so there's the 12 team playoff that we're going to talk about. So it's probably going to be 12 teams. And I talked about, I I hate the number, but we'll explain that why later. But here is what the, uh, the quote that the PAC 12 put out the statement about the expansion. It said the PAC 12 supports expansion of the CFP and believes that the Autonomy 5, a.k.a. Power 5, champions should automatically qualify for the CFP. We greatly appreciate the work of the CFP subcommittee as well as the thoughtful and productive discussions amongst the management committee this week in Chicago. We now look forward to reviewing the expansion proposal more thoroughly with our members, student-athletes, partners, and other key stakeholders. And I... I and me and Ralph talked about this the other day. And actually, I'll, I'll let you weigh in, Ralph. What what was your take on this statement? Well, I'm going to read you a quote from Larry Scott, and you tell me what you think of the quote, and then I'll read you the date on the quote. Larry Scott, quote, we have determined 12 is the optimal number for us. What do you think of that quote? Is he talking about the Pac-12 conference? He, he is the that playoff. No, that quote is from November 30th, 2012. <laughs> and so, but it makes me laugh yeah. that like we have decided that 12 means that we might be able to sneak somebody into the college football playoff. Um, I, so you and I had a phone call about this because you felt like he did the right thing. You actually used to criticize before you and I ever met you used to criticize um, Larry Scott on the specific topic of not being um, for expansion or involved in pushing for expansion. Um, And then there was at one point when Larry Scott had said, there's no serious momentum or discussion about expansion of the playoff. That was in September of last year. Then just one week later, after getting criticized, because he wasn't on the forefront of pushing for expansion, he tried to make a case to move from four to eight and was denied. So he almost handicapped his own situation back then. Now that they're actually floating the possibility of moving from four to 12, which whether or not that's necessary or wanted is a completely different subject. But now that they're talking about moving from four to 12, my personal feeling is, especially if the number is 12, that it should not need to be said that the power conferences need a guarantee. Because if you can't get in as a power conference to a top 12 spot in the college football playoff, there's a massive problem. So to come out and say out loud that you need a guarantee was an admission of weakness, which was a reaffirmation of the terrible job that you've done in your time here. So if you wanted to remind everybody how far the PAC 12 was, has had fallen, 
then that was the perfect thing to come out and say. But if you wanted to just say like, oh yeah, now that it's 12, there's no reason we should ever be left out ever again. And even if we are, it's not going to be my problem. And just kept your mouth shut. That would have been the more prudent um, approach in, in my opinion, but he just can't help himself. And so you and I ended up on the phone where you thought that like he always should be pushing for any type of advantage whatsoever for the PAC 12. You didn't have an issue with it. I had an issue with it just possibly because I have Larry Scott fatigue, but the other possibility is I just, I genuinely think, and he ended up getting blasted by another conference commissioner for this. I think that it was just embarrassing. See the, the thing that I hated about it is, well, sorry the I thought he was right in the sentiment about a guaranteed entrance into it, because we've seen how these things manipulate uh, from other conferences, particularly the sec with the number of uh, conference games they play the way they set up their schedule, all those sorts of things. So, but the thing that I hated about it and that I agree with you on was that Larry Scott had been such a follower in every other aspect that this was just, you know, him coming in day late, dollar short, like, oh, yeah, here's what, here's what I think. You're full of shit, dude. F you. You should have been pushing for this for the beginning. And when the Pac-12 got left out, you should have been stamping on tables, kicking shit over. When you had good teams that got left out. And instead of that, you're just like, yo, we're just we're just trying to create the best thing possible. We win the most championships. Dude, football and basketball matter the most. If you fail at those, you have failed. George Kliakoff knows it. And that's why the George Kliakoff is actually considering changing. The well, actually, fir- first thing is the Pac 12 is considering hiring a person, a former coach, to just be essentially over football, almost like a football commissioner all by himself, like somebody to govern the most important sport. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is George Kliakov understands how the schedule manipulation works. So to go quickly through it. The Big 12, Big 10, and Pac-12 all play nine conference games, which if you average it out, that means that every team in those conferences accounts for four and a half losses, four and a half that are spread out throughout the conference. However, where a team goes undefeated, somebody has to lose eight games. Somebody, you, you know, like that's the way it works. Four and a half losses a team. In the ACC and the SEC, there's only four losses that average out throughout all the teams. That means in the SEC, that's seven less losses that go on teams' records. So that means that you can have Alabama not play Georgia for seven-some years, seven, ten years in the regular season. You can do some of these schedule manipulations, which they do, to make sure that their best teams are uh, have less losses, and that's and so Kliakov is considering moving the Pac-12 down to eight conference games with three non-conference and going to the Stu Mandel model of adding what we saw this year, which is a flex game for Game Twelve. 
And one of those games being the Pac-12 championship. I do not hate this idea at all, Ralph. I think it's very reasonable. And you and the other conferences are not going to go up to, to nine conference games. They're like, shit, it's worked. Now, the other conferences have to be willing to change their model unless the college football playoff committee in going to 12 games creates some sort of standard for uniform scheduling to eliminate this problem. I like the direction. I think it's a good idea. I'm just happy to be moving on. I, while you were talking, I stumbled upon another quote. This one is from the conference championship in the 2018 season. So less than three years ago, two and a half years ago, Larry Scott was asked at the conference championship, how he felt about expansion of the 14 college football playoff. And his reply two and a half years ago was I felt then. And I feel now four is absolutely the right number. It's a great balance between the importance of the regular season and conference championships and having a playoff, which is about determining who is number one and maintaining the importance of the bowl system, the importance to our student athletes, our schools, and our fans. We feel very fortunate. We, we've got the Rose Bowl two out of every three years, which is the best bowl game in the country with a hundred years of history for the PAC 12. We feel that the balance is very, very good. He had to be dragged kicking He's not and a screaming. Thinker, bro. He had to be dragging, kick, kicking and screaming into the conversation. And then all of a sudden he expects a cookie at the very end as he's departing for asking for a guarantee for the, for the power five conferences when he had every opportunity to lobby for just an expanded opportunity for the PAC 12, not even a guarantee, just an expanded opportunity. Yep. And he always felt like it was the wrong idea, but now that it's inevitable, he wants to be a visionary. Wait, 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 wait. But but did he really think that it was the wrong idea or was that the popular opinion? Because he's a follower. Like, that's the that's the thing that had me upset is I'm like, it, this isn't even what you really think, dude. This isn't even what you really think. But uh, but that's Larry Scott on the way out. Thank God we only got another week of this clown. Um, but. The playoff expansion, the 12 teams in general, I hate the number 12, Ralph. I hate it because the whole idea of expanding the playoffs, I believe that eight's the right number, five power five champions in, two at-large bids, highest ranked nine uh, group of five team in there. So that creates eight teams. Nobody gets a bye. Expanding the 12 teams gives four teams a bye which only is going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy about those teams because they're going to be playing teams that didn't have as much time to game plan for them because they were playing the week prior. They are not going to have, they're going to have teams that are going to be more hurt because they played a tough game. And it's going to only self-fulfill the prophecy of that these teams are so much better when in reality is they're getting an advantage in the situation. You're right. I just, I don't know, man. I just, I think the eight, eight is great as long as one of those guarantees does go to the highest ranked group of five. I think that that's very important. Um, the idea that we continue the flexibility of scheduling that last year showed us is possible. 
could be a really, really good thing for college football because it means that you could make some make or break matchups and you could work to emphasize the importance of the regular season by not having games locked in 15 years down the road when you can't guarantee whether or not that school is actually going to help you in any way, shape or form just by being on your schedule. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think eight is correct. And we'll see if they overshot and went to 12 just because my my prevailing theory thus far is that they overshot and went to 12 because so many people are hurting um, financially. And I think that they saw the opportunity to get a lot of athletic departments right as quickly as possible. And that's why nobody, uh, why everybody who turned down eight last year is pushing for 12 this year, because that, that, that could be the only explanation is that there is something in it for them. We are agents of our own self-interest, right? So um, I think that there are a lot of schools out there just trying to make sure that they have an opportunity to grab some cash and, and, and make sure that maybe they don't end up in a situation like they were in in 2020 ever again. Um, but maybe I'm being cynical, George. I don't know. Yeah, dude, it, it is. I do. I do agree with you there that they probably overshot it because of the money situation that they were sitting there like, wait, hold up. Hold up. This is an opportunity for us to um, make some additional money. And that's that's what they wanted to do. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying. The that the Pac-12, obviously, you have to get in with with, with 12. There's no way if you don't get in with, with with 12. Now there's a problem with how they have with how they're calculating things because it so I do think the Pac-12 has to figure out how to play the game and be willing to do that to to win. And I hate the schedules, but I don't think you have a choice at this point in point in time. And the SEC's not going to change up their their model. They got a racket going. I wouldn't change up shit either. But as a college football fan, I think that people should hate when these schedules are just piss poor. Like there should never be a weekend during college football that we look and we're like, oh, my God, this is a God awful slate slate of games. Like, how does how does this happen? That should never, ever, ever happen with one hundred and thirty teams. One thing that I don't want to see, though, is I don't want to see Pac-12 teams playing ding dong technical college in November. That's the one thing about the SEC that I absolutely can't stand. It's the one thing that makes me roll my eyes at the greats like Nick Saban when they say we're preparing for we're preparing for the Citadel just like we prepare for Ole Miss. No, you're not. Like you're really not. In fact, you're paying them <laughs> to be here. So, you know, that that part of it I would really really like to avoid if there is going to be um a retraction of the amount of conference games that you have to play. I just would ask that they not replace them with like a second FCS team because that stuff drives me absolutely crazy. Yep. 100%. Um, So I'm hoping that the college football playoff committee are going to be the people that like step up and do something to create some universe, some, some uniformity. Um, The next thing up is, um, yeah, is that there has been additional bowls 
that we have in the Pac-12. And you can tell us uh, which one there is. There's the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, literally named after Jimmy Kimmel, which will feature, what, the Mountain West number two versus the Pac-12 number five? Mountain West number or is it Mountain West one. One, yeah. Mountain West number Mountain one. Mountain West. My hopes are. Which is going to beat beat the Pac-12 every year in that game. It, it'd certainly be close. It'd certainly be close, especially if if uh, if it's not a team full of you know people who are wanting to skip a bowl or whatever. I think you know the Mountain West has shown that there are a lot of really talented teams. Um, every once in a while, you get like a one-off Utah State or Colorado State season that's really special. But for the most part, it's Boise State that runs the table out there, and uh, and and that's a that's definitely a tough team to keep pace with if if you're in the Pac-12 because they're out there out recruiting half of the Pac-12 every single year. The one thing that you wonder is if Boise State is going to do what TCU did and find their way out of the Mountain West into a bigger conference. But I I I'm not as I've seen a lot of people making fun of this whole thing being the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. The entire thing of bowl sponsorships is to promote something as a money-making venture. If there can be a Belk Bowl, if there can be a Manscaped Bowl, there can be a Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. I don't have an issue with that, especially somebody who went to ASU and went to UNLV. So he's actually, you know, represented both conferences. There's people who think that he's too political, therefore shouldn't have his name on anything as it relates to college sports. You know, the if you pay for it, you can have it. Yeah, you should just be happy that check clears. Yeah, if Who cares you, about his politics? If that money goes in your pocket, come on now. Yep, you are 100% right, bro. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, there have been oh, now there was the NCAA, the Austin versus the NCAA case, which has dominated headlines as well. You have had the um, and that's the case that the Supreme Court just weighed in on that said that was, well, the, it was an antitrust lawsuit where the Austin was saying that the value of the scholarship should not be capped at the cost of attendance. And that means that they, so the, the lower courts ruled that they, that Austin won and the Supreme Court just upheld it. The NCAA spent $73 million in the last year on legal fees fighting this. And it was stupid. I mean, like this is literally about schools being able to pay for laptops, telescopes, freaking uh, anything as it relates to schooling and the education of the athletes. And people say, oh, it'll be abused. Well, if they're taking a class on geology and they need a microscope or it would help them, then, yeah, could it be something that is it something they need? Maybe not necessarily, but whatever. Right. And. I'm just like they fought this tooth and nail, but this is educational stuff. This is not name, image and likeness. This should have been a no brainer, Ralph but they spent $73 million fighting it. That's because all they care about is the status quo. They don't want to give up an inch because they're afraid it will all fall apart. They're trying to hang on to the grift of amateurism as long as possible. And I don't blame them for doing that. You know, they, they, they've got a good gig going where their entire job, especially guys like, you know, Mark Emmert, he gets to walk around in a suit every day collecting checks by telling people who drive earnings uh, that they don't get any of them. That's his entire job is spending the money that other people generate. It's a great gig if you can get it. And he's working on making sure that he can hold on to parts of it as long as possible. And so can all of his cronies. Um, It is absurd to spend that level of money, which again was paid for by the student athletes in order to try to, defend the student athletes from accidentally um, being able to have all their school supplies. (laughs) Now, I mean, there's probably going to be some latitude as to like what's, what things are used for school um, and what aren't. But at the same time, if you need something to be successful in school and you have been told that you can't have a job, that's the other thing that we forget about the NCAA is if you are a scholarship athlete, in season, you can't be working. Like you cannot yep. do that. So you can't even really be working out of season because there's so much practice. Right, right. And so, I mean, there's people who do it. There's people who find workarounds all the time for for stuff like that. Um, you know, I've I've had a Division One athlete, uh, football player within the Pac-12 during the off season, hit me up once a week just to see if he can wash my car for gas money. This is a real thing. Like I have a current division one football player that has asked me if he can do odd jobs, no less than a dozen times. 
just so that they can have gas to Are get to and from. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like a super common thing. And I've never given anybody any money that's not a- allowed. And I, I always uh, try to refer them to uh, uh, people that would be better because that's not necessarily the most appropriate um, situation for me to be in. But absolutely. Absolutely. I talk with student athletes all the time about just like how tough it is when they're in that situation, you know, they see their classmates um, going to Cabo (laughs) for spring break and they have spring practice and they would love to be able to do college student things because supposedly they're just college students. They're amateurs. They're not actual uh, money-making athletes, but they can't go and participate in a lot of those things. I have a cousin who was asked to join the Colorado state football team, but he would not have been able to study abroad in Patagonia because he would no longer have been a real student. Even as a walk-on, he would not have been a real student anymore. So the entire idea that these are student athletes and the student comes first, but when you make sure they can't student correctly and you know that they can't participate in all the offerings that exist to students on campus, it is absurd that you would not at least try to find ways to fund the part of the student, lowercase s, that they actually get to be. Dude, you are 100% right, bro. You are 100% right. This is silliness. This is absolute silliness that we're even in this situation to where student athletes, like if you go take a a paid graduate internship that you can't, now that you're ineligible, what every other student on campus is eligible to do this. I, I I hate it so much. Like this one of those, I, I hate it here. This is worse than peanut butter and fucking chocolate together. <laughs> well, um, uh, n- no. Uh, I mean, yes, it's definitely is worse than something that is good. Um, but I do, I do want to point out that like, it is really funny that, that as the, um, college athletic budgets expand and expand and expand and obviously 2020 and everything that happened in 2020 is an anomaly for the most part these budgets inflate and expand on a yearly basis with the increased ticket prices with increased merch sales with uh, increased tv money and more bowl opportunities and everything like that all this money's going into a pot and colleges have to spend it somehow so they'll go out and they'll get 50 different grad assistants and uh part-time Uh, employees who were also students at the college to work within the program when all along they could have been paying the players that come to practice to be the ones to move the cones and pads around and set practice up themselves. And they could have been paying them 10 bucks an hour this entire time. But instead they have to find other students at the college who aren't on the team that are then eligible for that money that the student athletes brought in. And that will never not be insane to me that if you go to any college football practice in America, there's going to be a bunch of dudes. They are making 10 bucks an hour to help out with little things here and there. Um, to build around these players who enabled that wage, but can't partake in it. So I don't know, man, (laughs) I just think that everything is a step in the right direction. And you and I have talked about it on rice or wrong. Everything's a step in the right direction, but there will be gnashing of teeth and overcorrections because you drug your feet. And if you leave it in, in the hands of judges, they're going to come back and they're going to do what Brett Kavanaugh did. They're going to tell you your whole situation's bullshit. 
Yep. Yep. And I love the, I love the fact that they are keeping it 100 about this, right? That they are, that Brett Kavanaugh and other people actually have the courage to tell the truth. You know what I mean? And that they're, instead of bullshitting about it and just keeping things as the status quo, I love it. I think that it's the right thing to do. And now, though, the NCAA is in trouble and they're trying to save themselves because the um, they put out a statement today. Mark Emmert did. He sent it out via email to and it was about name, image and likeness. And um, Nicole Auerbach tweeted it out. You're, you're you're better at reading and summarizing these things than than I am. But so what we have that has happened, right, is that July 1st, you're going to have bills that have that are going to go in place in different states about name, image and likeness. All of them are completely different. In the state of Georgia, they said that Schools can take up to 75% of what a kid makes and distribute it to other players. Some of them talk about health care. Some of them talk about guaranteed scholarships, actual payments from the school. There's all sorts of things. But name, image, and likeness in general is simply about each individual student athlete being able to monetize their brand, their own personal brand, whether it's via YouTube, podcast, car dealership endorsements, um, headphones, any draw of their artwork, music career, anything, anything that they want to do that they can make money off of it, just like any other student on campus. That's the crux of it. It is not even about the school, like taking money out of the school's pocket to pay the student athletes. That's not what it's about. And that's why it doesn't fall under a Title IX provision because female athletes have the exact capability to make money as men do. Look at like, imagine how much money Katie Ledecky could make being able to compete in college and being able to beat, make money. Uh, Caitlin Ohashi at UCLA when she was there or uh, Sabrina INSQ at Oregon or Aja Wilson when she was at, where was she at? South Carolina or Mississippi State? No, South Carolina. So many others, like the same way. Like it's not a, and then uh, volleyball players will be able to make money. Some of them are super popular on their campus. Softball, all of these things. So it's a fairness scale because you are literally able to make money based upon your popularity. And that's the way it works in life. And any other iteration of that is crazy to me, Ralph. Yeah. Let me, let me paint you a situation and everyone's like, well, how, how are these female athletes going to make any money? Like, let me give you a really specific scenario. Okay. Let's say that your club basketball team or high school basketball team is getting ready to play a big game. Right. And your uh, school's booster club or the, the the slush fund for the AAU team decides that one of the ways to get uh, the girls on your team jacked up for this big game would be to reach out to Sabrina Ionescu, who is on cameo at the time while in Oregon, because <laughs> it would be allowed by current rules 
and pay her a hundred bucks to give a 30 second pep talk to all of the girls in that locker room who want to be just like her. Are you telling me that they wouldn't take advantage of something like that if they had the opportunity to? Of course they would. There's a mil- I can For think sure. of literally a million different, and maybe it's just a lack of imagination on people's parts, but there is um, there was a girl who ran track for University of Utah, and her name escapes me right now, but she's from Chaparral High School in Scottsdale, Arizona. While she was running track for University of or- uh, for University of Utah, while she was running track there, she was also making art. And she was posting all of her art on her Instagram. If somebody wanted to purchase some art that she made, they are not able to do so at this time. But under the uh, name, image, and, and likeness update, and hopefully there there is one nationally, federally, and we'll get into what Mark Emmert said here in a second. But if there was an update, then maybe she would be able to do those things, which any normal human being should be able to participate in the economy. Period. Like you should be uh, Nico Mannion, yep. who went to University of Arizona for one year out of Pinnacle High School in North Phoenix, went into college with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. He should yep. have been able to wear somebody's T-shirt. Uh he should have been able to wear somebody's niche clothing brand t-shirt and charge 75 bucks to post a picture with it because that's how normal society works, but it can't yet. And here is what Mark Emmert said. Um, He said a lot, but I'm going to stick to just this. Although permanent uh, name image and likeness rule changes by July 1st are unlikely due to the current legal environment. We're working with divisional governance bodies to develop interim solutions that will fairly allow student athletes to take advantage of name image likeness opportunities, regardless of the state in which they are enrolled. Our intent is to have these interim measures in place by July 1st, which is like a week from now, equally important. We remain committed to working with Congress to chart a path forward, which is the point of the Supreme court expressly stated in the Alston ruling. Now here's the thing. The NCAA has done nothing but drag their feet. They're not committed to anything. Mark Emmert's not committed to making sure that NIL works for everybody equally. And he is right that the current legislative environment is an absolute mess. But you aren't forced to do things against your will if you're willing. The end. And so now they're going to put out temporary guidelines that might run afoul of state law. Yeah. What do you do, George? What do you do if you're in that position? Exactly. What do you do if you're in that position, George, where your state law says one mm-hmm. thing and the NCAA guidelines say another? Uh, I'm going with my state laws because you violate state laws, you end up with state problems. <laughs> the the NCAA can't even like can't even stop people from violating their own rules. So I would more likely uh, operate under my state guide guidelines than the NCAA because they supersede the NCAA. You would think so. It's but it's, you- it's like it's like listening to the crossing guard or listening to your mom. Who are you going to listen to? So the point that you just made is the reason that I asked Larry Scott while he was still commissioner a year and a half ago now, almost two years ago now, what he was going to do about the fact that most of his states existed in 
uh, or in most of his schools existed in states where marijuana use was legal, both medicinally and recreationally. Yep. But guess what? The NCAA supersedes state law and they can kick you off the team, kick you out of school, take away your scholarship and, for participating in legal activities within your state for somebody in your age range. So here's what I'm worried about, George. You say you're going to go with state law, but the NCAA comes along and revokes your scholarship because your state said you could do something, but the temporary guidelines of the NCAA don't want to let you go that far. That's how it exi- That's how it, it, it functions with marijuana laws right now. Why wouldn't it be that way with name, image, and likeness? They're not going to let these states do well, what they because, want to do. Because – See the see the difference is is that marijuana is illegal federally. That's where it. That's where I mean, like that's why you have dispensaries in different states that are operating. But then, if they ship something across the state from state to state, now they are in violation of federal law. So, but. There's no federal that like there is no federal law. That's the, that's why the 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 Congress has to get involved with this, because there has to be some uniform resolution. And I guarantee you the NCAA will not come up with something that is going to be tenable for uh, the athletes. Because they're the reason that it doesn't exist in the first place. Why would we ever expect the NCAA to be a leader when they've been the one blocking the path, right? Like uh, this yep. is like asking, you know, asking Rudy Gobert to be the the best offensive player on the jazz. Like that's not his job. His job is defense, right? Yep. The NCAA's job is to uphold the guidelines that they believe are in the best interest of the student athletes, AKA the best interest of themselves. Their job is to uphold those guidelines. That is it. Their job is not to make a new path forward that would be potentially dangerous for their product and the way that they are structured. And it it would be. You will have people, George, you will have people cash in on NIL in a way that makes playing the sport that they didn't love to play in the first place unnecessary. You are going to have people cash in on NIL in a way that makes them playing the sport unnecessary and they will walk away to pursue whatever that career path or opportunity it is that opened up for them. And the NCAA is afraid of that because as it currently stands, if you want to do something like that, they can paint you as a malcontent or someone who is morally reprehensible um, or, or anything of that nature. And so, you know, they're just never going to be the ones to do it. It has to come from Congress. And then you look at Congress and they're like, mean median age of like 65 and you don't even know if they know what TikTok is or how somebody could monetize it. And so we're in a really brutal situation right now where it might have to be your girl, Cassandra, who writes about all the NIL stuff at unafraidshow.com. She might have to be the one to come up with the rule in the first place, because I think she understands it a lot better than the NCAA and and some of these Congress men and women uh, do in the first place. Yeah, because they have so much other stuff g- going on. That, I mean, they're they're literally one hour listening to something on critical race theory. Next thing, they're listening on voting rights. Next thing, oh, college college sports. You can't be a master of all of these things. They don't have magic knowledge. You need an actual expert in that field to develop the the, the rules in it. 
And the NCAA has that expertise, but they want to keep the same antiquated rules. And that's not going to work. Um, uh, the next thing up is there are some new transfers in the Pac-12. You've had kids leave one school to go to another school and a school that I think had the biggest impact is Colorado, right? Probably. I mean, Sam Neuer was the starting quarterback last year. It's a lot like the University of Oregon situation. Starting quarterback basically told in camp that like, hey, this job looks like it's going to go to somebody else. Uh, And then you see um, some movement because you got to you got to go where you're wanted. um, Unfortunately, in, in this college football economy. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, George. I feel like if you were the if you were the starting quarterback, um, and I know that he had a voyage from quarterback to safety back to quarterback, um, I feel like you should be given every opportunity to retain that gig, especially if you 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 played well. And I'm not sure that Sam Neuer was afforded those opportunities. Uh, I don't I don't believe so. I believe that you should get that everything should be a competition. That if you are a player and you start a season, right, and you're the starter the the previous year, that doesn't mean you're going to be the starter the next year. It should be always be a competition. The best person should be able to win. It doesn't matter if Sam Neuer was the, the starting quarterback for three years. If a better quarterback comes along, that's not my problem. This is a meritocracy. This is sports. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry that it worked out that way for you. And if that's the case, then you need to move on to somebody to somewhere else. But he's doing going to do the same thing to somebody else, potentially in Jebbia up at Oregon State. So how how am I supposed to feel some kind of bad about this? At least he stayed in the Pac-12 within basketball. It's getting bad for our league right now, which we had all that good news in the deep tournament run. And look at this. This is something that I'm taking from uh, Matt Wadley who wrote this for Trojan Wire, um, which uh, I, I know a couple of people who contribute for Trojan Wire, and they do good work. Uh, but I'm going to read this to you, and I, w- I want your reaction. Um, okay. CBS Sports compiled a list of transfer rankings, and the Pac-12 had four of the top seven players in those rankings. Matt Bradley left Cal to play at San Diego State. Timmy Allen departed Utah for Texas. Remy Martin dashed from Arizona State to join Kansas, and James Akinjo left Arizona to head to Baylor the team that won the whole thing this past season, all four of those should play big roles on their new teams with Bradley arguably playing the biggest after the Aztecs lost Matt Mitchell and Jordan Shakel to the pro ranks. So you have, um, you know, Boogie Ellis did go from Memphis to, to USC. There were some transfers into the PAC 12, but you have probably yeah. four of the top 15 players within the PAC 12 moving out of the conference. Is that something that we should be alarmed by, or is that just, the way things are. That's just the way things are. I mean, you, you, you've had Dana Altman be on the, I would say the, you know, they've had a bunch of transfers out, but then they get them right back in too. So, you know, you, this is the landscape of college athletics. You have to be able to govern your own roster and be scouting other people's rosters at the same time, which means you probably need a bigger scouting department in college. So I'm not mad at it. I get it. It's just the landscape that we live in now. 
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think probably one of my favorite things about college sports was the development of athletes over time. Um, the transfer portal is taking a lot of what my favorite thing was about the game, which is progression. Um, yeah, and, and seeing a guy grow from one where you're, where you're like, oh, he wasn't that great as a freshman, and now you're like, oh, snap. He's yeah. much better. One of the funnest things to do is take like the guys that I followed in the 90s and early 2000s in the NBA and go back to their college stats. And you always see that huge jump from sophomore to junior year. Like that's not how things yep. are anymore. And, and you know, if, if, if you're not going to do for me um, right away, uh, then, you know, that might affect my ability to keep my job. So I'm going to have to recruit over you. Player development is what's suffering. And the funny thing is you watch, <laughs> you watch Gonzaga have all this success year over year and they do it that way. And so there's still a home for it. Um, but at the same time, it's just with so many people moving, so many people needing a fresh start to be temporarily satisfied in what is more and more uh, an immediate gratification culture. Um, this is just going to be the way that it is. And I'm trying to find things I like about it, but I don't know. I, I don't want to be one of those old crotchety, like uh, the things are changing and I don't want to go along with them and I'm finding less enjoyment in it. But that's just the truth, man. My favorite thing about college sports was player development. And, uh, and that's just gone by the wayside. And, and now you're our old man screaming at the clouds. <laughs> um, the last thing up, 
is, well, okay, so look, we have talked extensively about the Arizona State scandal. And I'll put a link in in this episode if you want to go back and listen to the other episodes. But so we've covered this. Uh, I thought we were going to go over it today, but it it kind of feels redundant. Like there's more information that is being unearthed as as we speak. We can just Um, take ourselves out of it completely and just acknowledge what's happening at this point in time. Yes. Yes. That that. If these if these things in the dossier become public, it could be very difficult for Herm Edwards and uh, Antonio Pierce and some other guys on that staff to keep their jobs. That's the bottom line. So there are powers that be that don't want it to come to light. And we will ultimately see who wins that battle. Yeah. So quick, quick refresher. Uh, Doug Holler of The Athletic made it public that there was an investigation into Arizona State at the NCAA level. And the reason that the NCAA was able to kick off an investigation is because the NCAA and ASU both received essentially dossiers and or email packets full of um, text message exchanges, possibly photo, audio. We don't know because uh, Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports, who was after it, uh, I don't believe ever ended up getting his hands on it, which is what delayed his ability to break the story because he had been working on it for a while. Bruce Feldman jumps in and they bring some additional details on the side of, of the athletic that, that basically states that Herm Edwards is directly implicated. And what it comes down to is what can be proven. There are a lot of allegations out there, but the allegations that have been made public through credible media sources are that Arizona state was bringing kids into the facility during a COVID caused dead period. Yes. And turning off cameras and all sorts of other things. And potentially punishing employees who were not okay with the idea that the team that lost more games to COVID than anyone else in the Pac-12 was potentially flying people in to tour the facility and hang out with the head coach who had also had COVID um, during and, and after the season. So, um, and there are other things, you know, there's the, uh, an accusation that they paid for somebody to, to come out to the um, uh, bowl game in El Paso and was hanging out at the team facility and that people had issues with it. Then there's obviously whistleblowers who currently work within the program and who used to work with the program. And the thing that makes this Arizona state scandal unique amongst all college football recruiting scandals because it's just guidelines. They're just minor violations that when pile up can, can, can be a a really big deal. The thing that makes this different is that you seem to have a lot of people who are discontent with the way that things are going, who are willing to speak with uh, media and investigators and things like that, uh, which doesn't typically happen. Usually everybody closes up ranks when the NCAA comes Uh, sniffing. They aren't happy to talk. And so um, Arizona State is going to have to find some way to either wriggle their way out of this or explain why they did what they did or explain why what they're being accused of isn't actually a real thing. But it 
at this point in time seems to be something that could affect Herm Edwards and, and most of the attention right now um, is focused uh, upon the, the defensive coaching staff um, under Antonio Pierce, as well as some of the younger uh, hires that replaced uh, some people um, that, that were at Arizona state. So those are just the facts. Um, We have people mad at us for knowing about them before they were going to happen. We have people that are upset at you for what they believe is overhyping it. And again, not everything that we were privy to has been, (laughs) has been uh, publicly um, released through credible sources. So, you know, it's a waiting game. And if I, I, I wouldn't mind if you ended up being incorrect and that stuff never comes out, um, because it's pretty dumb and damaging. So uh, that's where we're at uh, as far as what Arizona State's going to be able to do from here. The model is drag your feet, but the model doesn't usually include whistleblowers. Correct. That And that's the difference is that I don't think that people have fully understood that, that that's the difference in this. And a lot of the other things that we've seen is that there are people who are willing to talk. And that's the part that's not typical. Like people aren't usually willing to talk about these things. So to force them to get them to talk about it is is of note. It's very, very notable. Um, the last thing, though, is that there are three new Pac-12 podcasts, Ralph. Ralph has unearthed them. We have competitors, but I am excited about it. And the reason why I'm excited about it is because I believe – that the conference needs more coverage. Some of the Pac-12 podcasts have started, gone gone away. So, yes, there's still more, but not all of them are active. So I like it for the conference, but I also at the same time realize what the situation is. I think at one point we were competition, even though the, we, we do this because we want to. We I, I didn't even know what else was out there. Um, when we first started out, I, I listened to most of what what else um, is out there. And I think everybody has their own uh, niche. I know that podcast of champions um, with David Woods and Ryan Abraham uh, is extremely popular. Part of the 24 seven sports network. Those guys are plugged into recruiting. Um, I, I enjoy the show. Um, it doesn't seem like David Woods likes uh, football or college. Um, but for some reason, but for some reason it works and, and it's an entertaining show. I, 12 pack radio is probably, um, it is probably one of my favorites because it's super analysis heavy, which gives an, another side, um, to, to, you know, things that, that we do. And, and if I could recommend one of the ones that just came out and you, you know, you can jump on Apple and search pack 12 and see everything else that's, that's out there, make sure to subscribe and, and, and review ours. And, you know, we always do a good job. I think of, of having people that, that are our listeners participate in, in the show. Um, but if, if I could recommend any of the ones that have been started up, we got a guy named Andrew Havner out in, uh, Oregon who started pack 12 this week. And he has been one by one re- interviewing every single athletic director, and some of that information has been really, really good. Um, the one that stands out right now is Ray Anderson talking about how he expects to get an apology from everybody when they bust everybody's ass this season um, for some of the nastiness that that went his way when he hired his friend Herm Edwards. Now, that was before the news that dropped ultimately dropped, but um, he's gotten some really good stuff out of some of these ADs, and uh, and and I'm, I really, really like it. It's called Pac-12 This Week with Andrew Havner. Um, so we're, we're out here. We're giving plugs to – 
to, to some of the people who are, are, are competitors in this space. Um, but you're right. The more, the more, the merrier, uh, room for everybody. And the more people out there doing this means the more interest exists. And, you know, I continue to hope that, 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 uh, when people think of the PAC 12, they, they think of us and definitely want to be the best. And, and, um, this when is you think of trash, that- think of Hakeem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and that was me being as competitive as I'll ever get. There you go. Is that I would prefer that people who listen to Pac-12 podcasts gave us a chance. Dude, how dare you're, you're you're funny and we know you're extremely competitive, but that's fine. Um you guys, that's the Pac-12 Apostles for this week. We will be back every week now through football season. Um, we're super, well, um, almost every week, uh, starting in what's, what's that? We are in June. So we'll be off next week and then back the week after. So, yeah. So then after that, you got us every week with football season. All right, you guys, peace out. Catch you guys next week. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.